Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Everyone and welcome to episode 437 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my friend, Scott Coleman. Scott, it's been a while. We're also recording this podcast on a Saturday evening instead of a Sunday evening. How are you here in late February? Hey, Brad. I'm doing well. We officially had some Atlanta Braves baseball this afternoon, which was fun. Michael Harris wasted no time, saw the first pitch and hit a home run, which is just kind of cool for the vibes to get the spring going. And we're really about a month away now from opening day. So we are getting closer and closer. And so far, it's been a fairly quiet spring for the Braves, which is quite honestly a good thing. Yeah, kind of expected. And like you said, it is it's very early. The Braves did play a game today and we're recording this podcast, not because of that, but because, you know, just life uh, on, on Sunday. I want to at least make sure we get a podcast to the folks after taking last week off. Not a ton of news, like you said. Um, there has been a lot of good content on this podcast network, including most recently on Thursday, Stephen and Sean recorded a fun uh, deep dive podcast that should be still relevant as you're listening to this show early in this coming week. But um, Michael Harris bomb today, um, started to look good by all accounts in two innings. Um, not a whole lot to get to. I mean, I don't know how far you want to go into this, Scott, about like analysis of a game that happened on February 24th, but that's kind of the only real Braves news that they did play a game today. But by the time people listen to this on Sunday, they'll probably be playing again and, and again and again and again, and the rhythm of baseball will return. That's right. At this point in the spring, really, you're just hoping everybody stays healthy. You know, around the league, there have been a couple of pretty notable pitcher injuries already, which is yep. always the worry this time of year as guys really ramp up and shake the rust off. Uh, you know, Notably, Kodai Senga for the New York Mets has a shoulder strain. He's going to miss at least a couple of months. So it really is just keeping everybody healthy, get their work in. Uh, it was notable and interesting that Spencer Strider has talked this spring about incorporating a curveball into his mix. And by all accounts, he he threw it well today in his two innings in his first appearance of the spring. So that's interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see how much he works that pitch in as the games mean more and as we get deeper into the spring. But um, if you're telling me that Spencer Strider, who is already a supremely talented pitcher, has a legitimate curveball that he's going to be able to work in with his fastball and his slider and even his changeup, which he doesn't throw a ton, but it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, that's uh, if, if Spencer Strider has four pitches working, it is it is over for the rest of the league and <laughs> will be a lot of fun to keep an eye on over the next month. Yeah, you're right about that. Obviously, he was fantastic last year. We'll talk more about him uh, at a later date when we preview the rotation a little bit more. But uh, he was pretty open with the media after the start today that that's going to be part of the mix again. You know, he threw it today, and like you said, it's kind of the plan moving forward. So TBD on that. Like, not not a ton of regulars in action today beyond uh, Harris, who we talked about earlier, hitting a home run. Strider pitched. Ozuna and Kelnick did play. Apparently, according to reports after the game was over, that most of the other regulars are going to at least probably play a little bit on Sunday. So stay tuned for that if you have not. Um, I guess that game has not happened yet by the time you listen to this podcast. Um, we should at least bring up some uh, some more amusing national baseball news that you referenced. And I think it's a good idea that we talk about this. Uh, I want to tee you up here, Scott. Uh, what are your thoughts on the what I think everyone can probably describe as the disastrous uh, rollout of these new uniforms across baseball? Because I'm not a huge uniform guy. I got to be honest. There was there were some leaks about this in previous weeks, like before players actually reported to camp. And now that people are in uniform every day, it's only getting louder. And people are uh, big mad about this, I will say, across baseball. I think it's an actual embarrassment for the league. I mean, this is terrible. I don't know how quality control can be so bad. 
Um, I mean, you guys can look it up. This is a family show, but um, there was an Orioles player who took a photo in the new pants and uh, you saw a whole lot of stuff going on in the image uh, very clearly. So I don't know. I mean, there. I think Steven said it on the pod a couple nights ago that like when you're an eight-year-old playing Little League, the pants aren't see-through. And those are, you know, $20 pants that you buy at the at the sporting goods shop down the street. I really don't know how it got this bad. The jerseys are terrible. Uh, Ian Happ of the Cubs was photographed in the opener for Chicago a couple of days ago. And the letters are on, I mean, the letters are a disaster. Like the H and the A were on different levels. The P's were really close together. The logo was crooked. I mean, just amateur hour, quite honestly. Um, I'm surprised. I mean, once you have the MLB Players Association stepping in, I'm surprised that Major League Baseball has not been more at the forefront of this. I know that Fanatics and Nike are the ones creating it, but just a real lack of oversight. And I mean, even outlets that generally don't talk about baseball are talking about baseball. And it's for all the wrong reasons that these are basically see-through pants and jerseys that have zero quality control Uh, as far as the whole, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a bad look for the game. It is, it is bad. And uh, again, like I'm not sure what it would take for me to care, but I have to care about this now. Like, I don't really care about jerseys that much. I mean, there's better ones than others, of course. I have my own opinions. But, I mean, baseball now also saying that the pants have the same material as last year and no one believes them. Like, no one believes them. So it's interesting PR battle as well. Like, Tony Clark's been talking. He's the head of the uh, of the union, and he's been kind of giving it back to baseball and Nike and Fanatics is it being their problem. And um, yeah, it's, it's not going well. So I don't know what the, what the fix is going to be, if there even is going to be a fix and uh, maybe this will cool down as baseball starts to happen. But um, like you said, kind of just a bad look overall. And uh, if players are not going to be comfortable with it, that's not great by any means They have to be in this uniform, not all day, but a, a lot of the time, like several hours per day for uh, six, seven, eight months. And yeah. uh, that's tough. And it's weird because Nike has great college uniforms. Like some of the best looking uniforms in baseball at any level are college baseball jerseys. And for there to be just such a stark contrast, I don't know what the solution is. Maybe they end up wearing last year's jerseys. Maybe somebody steps in and fix things. But I mean, it's not like it's just one issue where you know the letters look weird or it's just the numbers are too big or too small it really is everything is wrong there were some inconsistencies on the piping as well of the front of the jersey and on the sleeves it really is just a bad bad look and hopefully they step in because uh you know we don't we don't need to be seeing uh, all all kinds of things whenever someone takes a big swing at the plate yeah uh, we we can leave it there for now but certainly uh a nationwide topic right now for all of the wrong reasons. Like you said, Scott, unless you have anything else to add, we can kind of get to the main event on this podcast. And that is essentially going to be our annual preview of the infield. We could try to do the entire lineup in one podcast, but it would probably take a while. And also it's still February. So there's still some time here. Uh, we'll plan to talk about the outfield on another show along with DH uh, because Ozuna is kind of an outfielder. And I use kind of very strongly in that discussion, but the infield is including catcher and, uh, you know, broadly speaking, a lot to get to here. Of course, there isn't like a ton of, I don't know, controversy or uh, overall intrigue about guys like Matt Olson and Austin Riley. They're kind of just proven superstars. But at the same time, um, it's kind of good to set the stage a little bit as the season approaches. And I, th- I know that we've heard from listeners in the past that just like want to get into the weeds a little bit on these guys before the season starts. So, um Broadly speaking, Scott, I think it's probably safe to say the infield on the Braves is pretty good. There is one spot that we all know that's more of a question mark, that being shortstop. But um, I guess big picture before we dive into kind of all the positions and the players involved here, um, it's pretty safe to assume that you're okay with this infield because this is uh, maybe the strength of the team, broadly speaking. I'm not, I'm not sure it definitely is, but it's certainly high on the list. Yeah, it's one of the strengths, one of the many strengths. Uh, yeah, from, from catcher with Murphy and Darno. I think pretty clearly the best tandem we could have a conversation about if Sean Murphy is the best catcher or a top three or top five, it's really pretty close, but between the catchers and then the infield, which also has a real claim of being the best in baseball, you just said we have a couple of just bona fide stars in the middle of their prime with Matt Olson and Austin Riley. We know that Ozzie Albies has been very, very good for a long time at this point. And if you're the Braves, you are just looking for consistency and steadiness out of Orlando Arcia. 
Of course, a year ago, all we seemingly talked about on the podcast was the shortstop battle between the now-departed Von Grissom and the now-departed Braden Shoemake. And Orsia, sure, he wasn't like a superstar by any means last year, but he was perfectly fine. And if you're going to try to get that consistent and steady production out of the eighth or the ninth spot in the order, hey, man, if he can catch the baseball and make the routine plays, I think the Braves are going to be more than happy with this infield mix this upcoming year. Yeah, I would have to say that's a pretty uh, safe bet at this point in time. So we'll talk at the end of the show about like maybe how good they are in comparison to the team that they're always compared to, the Dodgers. And as just as a spoiler alert, um, Fangraphs projects the Dodgers and Braves essentially to be in a dead heat for the best infield when you include catcher in all of baseball. And that's kind of been the case in a lot of different ways um, in this spring. But all that said, let's start with the catchers because this is the one spot where there really are like two starters. Obviously, Sean Murphy is the number one A guy for the Braves behind the plate. But Travis Arnault is at least what I've described as maybe the best backup catcher in all of baseball, um, especially when you factor in like a guy who's clearly not number one. He has been a number one um, re- very reasonably. He was the number one in the World Series winner. So like it is kind of what it is there. But um, the catcher spot is maybe not one we talk about as much as some of the others. Like they're, you know, Sean Murphy is not quite as big of a name still as an Olsen or O'Reilly, maybe even uh, Ozzy might even be a bigger name than Sean Murphy, but at the same time, he's uh, excellent as a player. And I'll just say this to you now, Scott, um, you could argue, and I might, on a per-game basis by the numbers last season, that Sean Murphy was the best catcher in baseball. He didn't play as much as some guys did, uh, 108 games because of uh, you know injury impact, again, that they had Travis Darno. So you could argue that Snicker maybe underutilized Murphy at times, but uh, game in, game out, he was uh, flat out excellent, even if it was not like perfect all the way through. Yeah, and I think we know pretty convincingly at this point, the Braves are going to rotate their catchers. They have been doing it forever now. It makes a lot of sense, especially with the wear and tear the position takes and just the heat of an Atlanta summer. I know Brian McCann, a borderline Hall of Famer, said publicly that just by August and September most years when he would play just about every day, that he was just out of gas. And that's natural. It's a very physically demanding position. So you, it's a real luxury to have a top five at worst catcher with Murphy. You know, he had an interesting 2023. He was phenomenal in the first half and then really cooled. And maybe it was an injury that cooled them down in the second half a bit. And then to have Travis Darno just not only on the field, but behind the scenes, the Braves rave about Darno anytime they get an opportunity. And to have him as insurance policy in case Murphy would get hurt and even vice versa, if, if Darno would get banged up and suddenly you do have to play Murphy five or six times a week to cover the length of that injury for Darno, I mean, you're in really good hands here. And I mean, just a, a testament to the Braves for accumulating this kind of talent at a position where, I mean, man, we, we've talked about it on this podcast for years. The bar for catching in Major League Baseball is so low that to have these two guys, especially Murphy, who is very, very good, to have these two options for the Braves is just something special. For sure. And uh, I'm glad we checked the box that we always check on this podcast about catcher being not great. It's one of our premier staples over the last several seasons. But it's true that, um, you know, in general, catching is a challenge for a lot of te- even good teams don't have great catching. And the Braves have two of them. Um, so I thought about how good Murphy was a little bit. Um, he hit at a high level. He did struggle badly at the end of the season at the plate. He was okay in August and pretty bad in September. I will save all the numbers, but he had a sub 500 OPS in September. He did have some injury stuff in the middle of the season. It wasn't quite the same guy after that. Defensively, he's awesome, but um, I'm not exactly sure. I have to. I guess I'll ask you about the bat. Like I, we certainly know he's a good hitter. Um, that was the book on Sean Murphy coming into last season is that, you know, he's a great defender and a good hitter. And I'm sure we talked about that when they actually made the trade, that he's not like this absolute, you know, superstar bat on his own. But you, when you factor in catcher and also the defense, it really plays. And last year, his overall numbers were very similar offensively to what they were in Oakland. You know, like a guy who's regularly going to be in that 120 to 130 WRC plus range, which is, again, awesome at catcher. But um, what do you make of the kind of splits last year where he had this hot start and then at the end of the year, he really was struggling? You know, I'm curious to know how healthy Sean was. So for reference, in the middle of June, Murphy pulled the hamstring and he didn't go on the IL, but he missed about a week. And when he pulled the hamstring on June 17th, he had a 148 WRC plus. 
which is phenomenal. I mean, there was a moment, I remember we talked about it. He was basically hitting at the same level as Ronald Acuna Jr. for the first three months of the year. Then he pulls the hamstring and the Braves gave him a week away. And after that injury, he only had a 108 WRC plus. So 148 before the injury, 108 after the injury. And as you said, he really struggled in September and was largely invisible in the playoffs. I believe Darno even started two of the four games, if memory serves, which if you would have told me that Darno was going to be taking playoff starts away from Murphy <laughs> in May, yeah. I would have told you you're nuts. But it, it was clear by his struggle. Um, who knows what, what the ultimate cause was. You know, his, his batting average on balls in play dipped, although he wasn't driving the baseball the same way he was in the second half. We'll, we'll probably never know. Maybe he was wearing down. I mean, Oakland is a pretty uh, climate-wise, pretty cool a place to play. And then you go to Atlanta with the heat of the summer. Maybe physically he was beat up. Maybe it was just he was hitting over his head in the first half and then came crashing back down a little bit. But overall, a 130 WRC plus as a catcher with pristine defense is going to be very, very good. I think the Braves would just like to have a little more consistency and maybe not such high highs, but low lows. Yeah, that is, uh, I would argue that that's all they need from him. You know, he's going to be 29 this year. So it's not like he's running up into like age concerns at this point. He's still in the middle of his prime um, and the defense should play. You know, if you told me he would post a 110 WRC plus this year, I wouldn't be shocked by that. If you said 150, I wouldn't be shocked by that either. Um, something in the middle of that is more likely and uh, you know, we can sort of nitpick him, but one of the best players at the position in all of baseball. And again, like Darno behind him, I do think that just like Murphy, honestly, Darno had a rough end to the season. Um, he actually has age concerns. He's 35 this season. So like, I think Darno is a backup at this point. I think for a lot, for a lot of teams, he would actually still be their best catcher, but it's his best use. And he wasn't particularly awesome last year. But he's obviously an organizational favorite as well, and um, I want to overstate it again, but I do think that if you were drawing up a number two with Sean Murphy, you can't really do better than Travis Arno, realistically. Like, you're not going to be able to have real Muto on your team, so it's going to have to be someone a little bit a little bit below that. And Darno is beloved in the clubhouse, all that stuff, and uh, obviously uh, a guy they would be super thrilled to have behind Murphy. Yeah, and I think, too, Darno would be the obvious choice to be the designated hitter should Marcelo Zuna get hurt. Um, you now then you you probably run the risk of I mean I would assume then if that was a the circumstance then the Braves would call up Chad, Chadwick Trump who is still in the organization and be the third catcher but there is some nice built-in insurance I guess with Darno that you could utilize him in a DH type of role uh, you know you mentioned he's 35 years old there's just not a ton of 35 year old catchers doing it at a high level. But again, I mean, the Braves just value Darno so much in the clubhouse and the work that he does with the pitching staff. Uh, guys like Max Fried and Charlie Morton have gone out of their way over the years to just praise the work that Darno does behind the scenes. And, um, you know, it's it, as we've said a few times now, if, if something happens to Murphy at 35, I'm not sure that Darno is going to give you great production, but it's not also one of those situations where, you're, you know, you're closing your eyes and just saying a little prayer that it's not a disaster because yeah. Darno for, for quite some time now has been a very capable and productive catcher. Yeah. No team in baseball can withstand having two injuries, a catcher, like nobody has a third catcher. That's great. No one. Um, maybe if you have a prospect, that's your third guy that's like in double A or something. But no, realistically, nobody, no team has three major league ready catchers. Um, the Braves don't, the Braves don't either. They have Chadwick Trump, who's their third guy. And, you know, if they have to have an injury to Murphy or Darno along the way, you call up Trump, you play him once a week and get by. That's, that's going to happen at some point. You would probably guess the math would say that's going to happen. But, um, yeah, you're, you're in pretty good shape with Darno if Murray, if Murphy went down for a few weeks or whatever it has to be. Um, we'll move on from catcher now, but I'll just say this, like, Fangraphs projects the Braves as the best team in the National League when it comes to uh, Fangraphs' war for catchers. Not a surprise, obviously. Sean Murphy being as good as he is, throwing Darno behind him and uh, do the math on that. Yeah, and there are a couple of superstar catchers around the league. Real Muto has been really good for a long time, although he cooled off a bit last year, and and he's getting into his mid-30s. Um, Adley Rushman in Baltimore is phenomenal. Will Smith in LA is phenomenal. So there's uh, you know, there's some real talent, but yeah, man, if you're telling me that Sean Murphy's gonna have 
hopefully just more a more consistent season uh, for the Braves. I think that's all you can ask for. And and I think there's a real chance for him if, if he wants to take claim to being the best catcher in baseball. I absolutely think that's a, a range of outcome and possibilities for him this upcoming year. Sounds right to me. All right. In an effort to not go four hours on this podcast, we'll move on to the rest of the infield. But first, a word from our partners on today's podcast. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Scott, let us go to first base, which might be the most boring and a good way part of this preview. Matt Olson is quite good. I'm contractually obligated to point out that he went to my high school, Sean Sparkview High School. But Matt Olson was essentially an MVP level player last year. Now, he was not really ever in the mix to win it because his teammate was out of his mind. But um, in a vacuum, Matt Olson was an MVP caliber player. I will let you read off the numbers in a second. Um, but his career best season in a lot of ways, he was fantastic. And I think it, we were talking about this a year ago, but he was actually fine his first year. There were some people that were mad at him after year one that he wasn't like, you know, going absolutely crazy, but he was very productive in year one, replacing a legend and also uh, making a transition to back to his hometown. He settled in and I don't know if you can bank on him doing what he did in year two again, because he was so ridiculous last year, but obviously it's a very safe spot to be uh, for a guy who is like extremely durable, productive, powerful, all that stuff, and uh, you're pretty safe with Matt Olson at first base. I think in my head, I was underselling Matt Olson just a little bit because here are the numbers, and these numbers are just stupid. A 283 batting average, which is no small thing for a guy who historically did not have a very high batting average. A 389 on base, a 604 slugging percentage, 54 home runs, 139 <laughs> RBI. He scored a million runs, a 160 WRC plus, and a 6.7 war. And he still had the 6.7 war, despite the defense not being great and playing a position that generally doesn't get rewarded a ton in the eyes of, of value stats because you can only make so much of a defensive impact at first base. It's just a, a tremendous year for Matt. You're right. I think in a season where Ronald Acuna Jr., wasn't doing historic things and Mookie Betts wasn't doing uh, things that very rarely are seen. Matt would have absolutely been a more uh, talked about MVP candidate. And I think he finished fourth if memory serves and was very deserving of that. So a very, very good player. Um, you know, we'll see what he does in year three. I think if you're going to tell me that he's somewhere in between year one and year two, I think that's probably a good baseline for Matt. But I do think there's a world where he comes maybe close to repeating what he did last year because this is the guy in his prime. And I mean, just hits the baseball so hard. Taylor made player for Truist Park as well with that left handed power swing. Really just a, a tremendous second year for Matt. And 
Um, you know, similarly, if if you want to tell me that he's the f- best first baseman in the league, I think he has a legitimate claim to at least being in the conversation. Yeah, he certainly was up there last year. Um, the only guy projected to be better than him in baseball by Fangraphs is Freddie Freeman. And obviously, you know, a familiar name, but and that's not really you're not really a slouch if you're projected to be behind Freddie. And by the way, the gap is not very big there. Uh, it's only narrowly in Freddie's favor. You have Bryce Harper as the first baseman now. Like there are some other guys but certainly Olsen is comfortably in the top five of what you project at first base in all of baseball. Um, you know, he was better down the stretch last year. You know, we'll see if that, if that continues. Like you said, I think it's probably reasonable to project him between year one and year two, because I will almost always take the under on what a guy did like that in his best possible season. And he might repeat it. There's no question about that. I hope, I hope he does, but um, just the way that he was so, so, so good in the second half of the season probably will regress a little bit. Um, we should at least say his defense has not been great. Um, in fact, that was kind of uh he was sold as a very good defender coming out of Oakland. I don't think he's like a butcher over there, but he's not great. Does that actually matter a ton at first base? Uh, probably not, I have to say. If there's one position on the diamond where I don't really care much about defense, it's first base. And if you race like this, no one cares. But um, I guess if I'm just trying to nitpick a little bit here, but um, I have nothing else to add, Scott. It's a very safe projection. Huge power. Not going to ever hit 320, but certainly going to get on base plenty and uh, consistent, durable, high upside. What else can you ask for? Yeah, and Matt has even talked, I think it was probably middle of last year, that his defense is not where he wants it to be. Yeah. So it's it's something in his mind. Hopefully he's able to improve a little bit. Um, again, I, I would agree entirely. He's not a butcher. He's not unplayable by any means. It's not like we're having conversations of, Oh, is it time to make him a DH? No, of course not. He's fine over there. Um, and if he's able to improve or at least make improvements on what he was these first two years with the Braves, that's only going to help, right? It lifts all the other infielders when they have a, a you know, a better first baseman defensively. And uh, yeah, just a really special player. Seems like he's really happy in Atlanta, really was able to settle in. And um, one uh, a housekeeping note, I don't know if you caught this, Brad, but Bryce Harper is now a full-time first baseman. He sure is. Uh Probably because he can't really throw anymore. Yeah. But yeah, that that's uh, that's notable, certainly in the division and a familiar name, unfortunately, for Braves fans. He's kind of killed them at times. Um, we should at least do this now. We'll, we'll have kind of one conversation about the other three guys in the infield. Uh, second, short, and third base have kind of the same backups. But if something were to happen to Matt Olson, and again, he has been very durable, so I'm not super duper worried. But if he went out for a long time, they might just go to Austin Riley at first base. Um, he's played there a little bit um, and they might be, you know, that might be one path, but if it's more of a short-term absence, they actually played Ozuna at first base today in the spring game. He's kind of the natural guy to throw over there. Um, he's had some infield in recent vintage. He wouldn't be great defensively there, obviously. Um, spoiler for the entire rest of this preview, honestly, the Braves don't have great depth behind anyone other than catcher. Um, but I think they at least have two options if Olsen were to go down and Riley and Ozuna. And obviously if you, if something happens to uh, Olsen, you put Riley at first base that opens third base. So that becomes the same kind of question, but uh, do you have strong thoughts on what they should or would do if something happened to Olsen? I would imagine it would be Marcel because it, you just said it kind of kills one bird, but it, it doesn't fix your problems. Right. You know, like you, then you have a big hole at third base, which is a more important defensive position. So I would guess they would have Marcel take a first baseman's mitt and say, catch the ball and don't make a mistake. And I think that's probably what it would be. Um, but, you know, Matt, to his credit, has gone out there in 162 games, played all 162, both years with the Braves, and was at 156 with Oakland in 2021. So very durable. Let's hope for another healthy year. But I would imagine it would be Ozuna for any you know, length of time. And, but it is, I guess, a good thing to know that you have a couple of options over there um, at, at first base. For sure. And uh, we'll obviously talk about it if, if this happens, hopefully it won't knock on wood. Um, I think the Braves would almost have to make an, another transaction. If something like, if for some reason, Matt Olson was gone for the season for a, with a long time to go, they probably have to go do something else. Uh, they, they don't have a natural thing to do because even if you if you put Ozuna at first base you don't really have a great DH like you have Darno maybe to play a little bit there but um anyway that's down the rabbit hole but um that's kind of a depth question that they have throughout the roster but I just want to throw it out there because he's kind of been he's kind of on an island because second third and shortstop are kind of backed up by the same guys um we can go to Ozzy Albies now unless you have more to add on the uh the prince who was promised Matt Olson 
<laughs> Parkview High's third most famous alum behind Brad and behind Jeff Francoeur. I would uh, love to see like Matt that. run a podcast network the way you do, Bradley. Uh, uh, <laughs> listen, he'd probably do it better than I would too. That's okay. He's uh, he's a uh, he's he's the golden boy in a lot of ways. Moving on to uh, the least favorite son of MLB Network, Ozzy Albies. We did one segment about this already. I think this offseason. Did you? Uh, Quickly, Brett, did you Uh-oh. see that uh, despite not being a top 10 second baseman, um, Ozzy Albies was the fourth highest or fifth highest second baseman on the same top 100 I, list that I came did, out this I did week? see that. I, I was wondering. Uh, I did see Braves fans reacting to it, which is certainly appropriate. Uh, I do. I don't generally flog these kind of lists, but every year the one with Ozzy does get me. And I, I do a rant like, like we did on the podcast a, a you know, month or two ago. But yeah, it wasn't a lot of logical consistency on those two things. Maybe you could argue they have different panels of voting or something like that, but it was certainly uh, pretty funny to see that. And uh, as noted on that podcast, if you missed it, by the way, if we have new listeners today, um, Ozzy has very clearly been a top six, seven, eight for a second baseman in the league for quite some time now. And he was left off once again, the top 10 list of MLB network at second base. And there's just absolutely no reason for that. Like there's no basis for it. Uh, and I'm sure you probably know this by now if you're listening to this podcast, even for this episode, we're not like always going to be super duper positive Homerish on this show. That's kind of not what we do. And I'm saying that now because I'm saying Ozzy Albies is very clearly a top seven or eight second baseman in the league, like very obviously. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he's coming off one of his best seasons. I mean, I think you could make an argument. It was maybe his best overall year on offense, on offense for sure. I mean, defensively, we'll talk about that too. It was not, it was not yeah. great. And that probably hurt him in the, in the war categories, but offensively he was awesome. And there were a lot of good trends from Ozzy. So a year ago we talked that his 2022 became really swing happy. And I know he had a couple of the injuries. It was a smaller sample, but he had really gotten out of what he should be doing at the plate. He's always been an aggressive hitter, but it was too much in 2022. And very thankfully, I'm sure that the coaching staff worked with him and it was much more in line with what we were, we want to see. Um, he had the lowest swing rate of his career last season. He also cut down his chase rate of pitches outside the zone by a lot. And that's a good thing because if there's one knock on Aussie offensively, it's that he'll have these at bats where he'll see six pitches one of which is in the zone and he'll end up just rolling over a ball to second base where he could have very easily gotten ahead in the count 2-0 or 3-1 and driven something. And instead he was just a little too swing happy. So I think that was a really great sign. He is a very talented individual. Crazy to think that Ozzy is still only 27 years old. He's seemingly been around forever and only 27. So still in his prime so offensively, regardless of where he's going to hit, whether it's second or if they bat, move him down a bit to sixth or seventh, I mean, just a very, very good offensive second baseman. And hopefully his defense, which did go down a little bit last year, uh, bounces back in 2024. Yeah, perhaps the shoulder that's bothered him has been a problem there. His his, his throwing is uh, not what it used to be, let's say. Um also, I, I will have to do this because it's uh, a, a tribute to our old friend, Eric Cole, who, if he was here, I'm sure would be trolling me about the fact that Ozzy's not playing shortstop. Um, that was a that, that's a throwback bit, kids, if you're not a uh, longtime listener. That's a deep dive of the podcast. Um, but anyway, I think defensively, he's not great, but I, I don't worry too much about it, to be honest with you. And good note by you about cutting down the swing, the swing happiness. That definitely helps him. And the power it is still remarkable. I, I probably said this before, but if you stand next to Ozzy Albies, the fact that he's that he hit 33 home runs in the major leagues last year is absolutely insane. Um, I, I don't say this in a negative way. I think people have acted like I've said this before and people have gotten mad at me for saying it. I'm not kidding and I'm not really like piling on or getting anything. I think he's literally about 5'6". Stay next to him. I mean, he might be 5'7". He's not 5'8", five, 5'9", five, the way he's listed. I, I, I think he's shorter than that. And the fact that, and again, I say that lovingly because it is remarkable that he's able to do what he does. What he does. Like short of, yeah. short of Altuve, He's the other, the other guy that you would say is like the smallest and uh, him, him hitting with th- this kind of power is remarkable. Like it, it really is. Yeah. He is unbelievably strong. Yeah. I mean, there is not a, a, a centimeter of wasted strength on his frame. Uh, just a very, very strong and capable player. Um, you mentioned career best 33 home runs and a 124 WRC plus. Uh, and, and, you know, the thing with Ozzy over the years, of course, is that he is always killed right uh left-handed pitching yeah 
from the right side, he is legitimately one of the maybe 10 best hitters. When he's hitting right-handed, he is a top 10 hitter in Major League Baseball and has been over the course of his career. The last year, it was not super heavily carried by his right-handed bats. He was quite good batting from the left side, which is, of course, the side you're going to hit from more times than not. So offensively, it was a very complete year. He raised his on-base percentage as well to about 335, which was good to see. He slugged above 500. He hit 280, which is encouraging, especially if he's going to be hitting around Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, That's a recipe to score a lot of runs. So, um, you know, a great year for Ozzy. Let's hope for another good one. And we mentioned he had off-season shoulder surgery a year ago which seemed like it messed up his defense a little bit. Didn't impact his power at the plate, but seemed like it messed with his ability to throw and to throw across his body especially. Uh, so let's hope that now that he's more removed from the surgery that he's back to his usual usual ways because he was a pretty darn good defender prior yeah. to last season. Agreed. And just to throw the number out to you because you're right about his splits, um, he was b- probably the best he's ever been, always close to it, um, batting left-handed last year. Um, but just to throw out how how good he actually is from the right side against left-handed pitching, uh, he has a career, not one season, a career 145 WRC plus batting right-handed. 145. Last year, good. last year was 174. <laughs> so like yeah. he's a yeah. So I think you're people probably thought that you might be overstating a little bit. It's not, it's really not. Like he is a top 10 hitter in the world when he's batting right-handed. It's just that he's not always batting right-handed. But there was a joke for a while on Braves Twitter that he was Mike Trout when he bats right-handed. Not far off, to be honest. <laughs> he's pretty uh, pretty remarkable from that side of the plate. Um, anyway, Ozzy's good. Uh, story at 11. Let's just do this now. Um, there are the three guys, second base, shortstop, and third base, that um, the Braves, you know, one of their questions this year, if you want to, if you want to call it that, is their relative questions depth-wise. Um, it seems like, Luis Guillorme and David Fletcher or in a battle, or perhaps they're going to carry both of them, you know, maybe to, def- to defend and back up all the infield spots. Um, Fletcher probably has the better glove based on recent metrics and reputation. He is not on the 40 man roster, whereas Guillorme is. Um, Guillorme might be a little bit better of a hitter. Um, they're both backup infielders. That's, that's kind of what they are. Um, but I wonder what you think about this because especially at the two middle spots, second and short, but even at third, it's got to be one of them. Um, even if it's like a day off or if it's a, a week-long injury or something like that, um, we'll see if the Braves carry both of them. But one of those guys is going to be the first call. And, you know, we don't know a ton about these guys necessarily. Like, you know, they don't have the same pedigree as some guys they've had in the past, but they don't have, um, I, I guess, counter to what they have at, at, uh, at catcher. They don't have a ready-made option that you absolutely love. Like, Long Grissom's not there anymore. They have they have to go to someone who can't hit at that same level. I think Guillaume is the better offensive option, and Fletcher is the better defensive option, is probably how the Braves view it. Um, you know, Guillaume, Luis Guillaume, who they signed to a one-year deal, you know, historically has been a pretty solid hitter with the Mets. Um, of course, at this point, I don't imagine he's going to play really very much at all for the Braves unless there is an injury. <laughs> That's the one thing we should say, by the way. Um, infamously, yeah. I- infamously, Snicker does not like to sit any of these guys. Even even our even Arcia has basically played every single day, and while he's been healthy, they don't really give they don't really give days off. And um, you know, fingers crossed that you don't have to use any of these guys. But you know, if you do the math, the chances of one of these guys. Um, at second, third, or short, being hurt for a couple of weeks during the season are, are fairly high. And that means we have to talk about it a little bit. For sure. And let's hope that we don't have to rely on Yorme or Fletcher. And that's not a knock on them. They're no. just a big step down from especially Albies and Riley. Um, it was interesting that the Braves moved on from Nicky Lopez. He was someone who, of course, they gave away in the Mike Soroka deal. But you know, they didn't have to include... I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine Nicky Lopez was the breaking point for the White Sox front office, although maybe maybe it was. They're an, a weird team. But, you know, I really liked Nicky Lopez just because his defense was so, so good. Um, you know, if, if you're going to have Guillaume out there batting ninth, that's not going to kill you. If David Fletcher had to step in at shortstop for a couple of weeks, that's probably not going to kill you. Um, and, and in case of a long-term injury, and let's hope not, but in a case of a long-term injury, I think they would have to go out and trade for somebody. Um, there's just not a ton on the farm system either, especially that Grissom and Shoemake have been moved. 
Um, and, and it's 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 difficult. I know that the depth thing is talked about a lot. I just want to say it is difficult for teams to have really good depth on the bench because these guys, if they're any good, they want to play every day. And these guys are not going to really play because of the way the Braves operate. And, and it's not just a Braves thing. It's just teams don't generally rotate players very much. So I think Yorme and Fletcher is perfectly fine. I would imagine both make the big league roster. And, you know, if they're called on once a week between the two of them, I think that probably means that things are going well. Yeah. I just, we, um, we always have to talk about it a little bit because, you know, unlike depth charts and other sports or whatever, like you don't have like starting third baseman backup and backup to backup. Like they, ha- they kind of have utility infielders or probably one. I mean, in the, in the past, they've kind of carried one at, at times. Um, they probably will do two. Unfortunately, it seems like neither Guillaume or Fletcher are really, I don't want to say capable, but there don't seem to be like options in the outfield. Ideally, you'd have one of them be able to play the outfield just for depth purposes. Um, we don't know if that's going to happen or not. Um, and yeah, they might, again, something kind of similar to what happens with what would happen if they lost Olsen. If it was early in the year and they had to fill months and months, they probably would make a move somewhere else. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. Hopefully it won't. And uh, we'll leave it there for now. Um, let's talk about the guy who is the biggest question, pretty obviously, and that is Orlando Garcia at shortstop. Um, you poked fun of it earlier because we had this seemingly endless discussion a year ago um, and it ended up being Arcia's job and it was his job all the way through other than when he was banged up a little bit. Um, he did have a very, very hot start to the season. I actually have a number here. He had a 997 OPS in the first 22 games. That's a very small sample size, but it obviously does matter. In the rest of the season that he played, uh, injuries aside, he had a 693 OPS. So he was basically back to the guy he's always been after that super duper hot start. And he did have his best year of his career. We should always say that career high home runs, career high in slugging. Um, still though, a 99 WRC plus, which is fine. League average. And honestly, I'll ask you this, Scott, and I'll give you my opinion as well. Uh, if you could tell me that Orlando Garcia did the exact same thing in 2024, they did in 2023. Would you take it? Yes. 10 times out of 10. Me too. Yes. <laughs> me too. Strongly agree. So like, I'm not piling on. I just want to, he, he did have his best season last year and hopefully he just does that same thing again. And I wrote this down kind of in jest, but I'll just say it out loud. It really just comes down to just catch the ball. Like if he doesn't hit, it won't be great, but you can bat him ninth. And if you have to do that, you got to do that. If he plays defense, and I think he kind of always has done that, they'll be fine. Catch the ball, provide an occasional spark at the bottom of the order, especially knowing who's going to be at the top of the lineup with the four bona fide stars that hit one through four for the Braves. If he can catch the baseball and just not cost the team games, right? Like we don't need Orlando to be a superstar. He's got like seven other superstars on this roster who are going to be doing the heavy lifting. If he can play a steady shortstop, which he did last year, he was actually better than I thought he was going to be in an everyday role. His defense was perfectly fine for my money. And offensively, if he can just give the Braves something at the bottom of the order, then you take it all day long. Um, You know, this is kind of the one position that there is some uncertainty about on the infield. Uh, Excluding injuries, we know that uh, something very weird would have to happen for Matt Olson, Ozzie Albies, or Austin Riley to not have a really good year. But with Orlando, we just the fact is we just don't know because he's just not that level of player. So hopefully he has another good year. I suppose it's the one position as well the Braves could upgrade with a midseason trade should that time ever come. Uh, but overall, just be steady. Don't do anything that's going to hurt the team and and bat figure he's going to bat eighth or ninth just about every night. Yeah, and look, he's not a great player. Um, and by the way, he'll be 30 in August. I think he's older than people realize that he is. Um, he came up, I don't want to say came up late, but like he was a big time prospect. He didn't like break out in Milwaukee, came here. He's been very solid. He's making very little money. Like it's a good place to be where he is very clearly their least talented, least upside position player as far as stars are concerned. And the other spot is left field, of course, which we'll talk about during the outfield preview. But um, I do think that Orlando is perfectly fine for what they actually need. Um, you just hope that he doesn't fall off too much with the bat. Um, but even if he, look, look, if he posted a 75 WRC plus and played good defense, would that be fantastic? No, but it wouldn't kill them. 
You know what I mean? Like, it, it's not like they have yeah. to have him rake. He doesn't have to rake. It, it's nice that he does when he does, but they don't have to have it. If he had a 75 WRC plus in July, even if we never got public word of it, I would imagine that Alex would go out and oh. really look to make a shortstop addition. Well, and, and they might do that anyway. I mean, I, I, th- yeah. I feel like every time we do a podcast, someone asks us about Willie Adamas or something like that. You know what I mean? It's always like oh, yeah. Yeah. people are not, and I get it because look around the team. You mentioned a second ago, the Braves have so many positions that are like star level players and Arcia sticks out like a sore thumb because he's not that. And that's okay. Like most teams don't have a star at every position, but it is the logical place to try to upgrade because the Braves did try to upgrade left field. We'll see what Jerry Kelnick looks like this year, but they actively made a move to go get him. Arcia, they're just kind of running it back and that's fine. But I'm with you. I, I I think if he doesn't hit or if he's not playing great defense or whatever, um, it is a logical spot for them to maybe go out and try to um, try to improve on. They don't have to, but um, also it might be contingent on them not, if they're not playing that well. If the Braves are not on pace to 100 games or whatever, and they're trying to like actively you know change the roster, it is a spot to do that. Whereas most of the team, you know, most this is definitely a positive, not a negative. Don't don't hear what I'm not saying, but. They're kind of locked in <laughs> most places. At shortstop, they're not locked in. He's there and he's making, yeah. but even then, Orlando's making backup money. Something we should always say out loud. Like they could trade for a shortstop and keep Arcia and have him be the backup infielder. Like that's what he was signed to do. He was signed to be the backup. And it's the one position where you can make a marked improvement on this team. Yeah. Right. Like you you just said, Matt Olson locked in, Ozzy Albies locked in, Austin Riley locked in. Michael Harris locked in. Ronald Acuna Jr., best player on the planet, locked in. Sean Murphy locked in. You know, other than Kelnick, who I think we all have high hopes for, and they just and tra- they, and they just traded for him. Yes, they're going to give Kelnick 600 plate appearances to see whether or not he is a long term fixture for this team. But Orsia, you, you mentioned the contract, right? Like you're absolutely right. He could totally shift back to that utility spot if it's the All Star game and he is just the one weak link in this lineup. I, I really do think there's a world where they go and upgrade it. But I also think there's a world where Arcia, as we talked from last year, it was just perfectly fine. And if he's doing his job, then you don't necessarily have to rock the boat for the sense of rocking the boat. And you can have Orlando Arcia on a team that wins 104 games because guess what? He was a shortstop on a team last year that won 104 games. Yeah, it's pretty good. So uh, long story short, not terribly sexy. I think... Um, if you get what he got last year, that'd be very nice. And we'll see wh- how he hits. That's kind of the big question. Uh, moving on to the last spot so that we don't go super duper long here. We're already on pace as we always are, Scott. Uh, third base is pretty po- pretty much point and shoot at this point in time. Uh, Austin Riley has been a star now for three years. Um, essentially, he's been a top 10, 15, 20 player in baseball over that sample size. He's been awesome. Um, last year, he had a slow start. Uh, it was a little bit worrisome. I'm not saying we were panicking because we weren't, but we talked about it. A lot of people did. He was not awful, but he was just okay for almost half a season. And then he was Austin Riley again and basically was the best player in the playoffs that they had. That's a pretty low bar to clear in a brutal series, but he was excellent for the last three, four months. And uh, sneakily, Scott played pretty good defense last year. It was certainly a question mark coming in. Um, There's always been a debate about how good he is, but um, I think by the by the metrics, he improved quite a bit last year. And, uh, you know, I was the guy who was low in Austin Riley three years ago, and I was wrong. He's uh, he's a star and he's pretty darn safe at third base. Yeah, just a, a tremendous player. The defense for me was just the most impressive thing last year, which says a lot when you look at his offensive numbers overall and a top eight finish in MVP voting. But defense was just really impressive last year. And that was the one thing early in his career that he could improve on. And he's really done it now that he's, what, three and a half seasons into his his major league career. Um, so really impressive. A guy in the middle of his prime, just a, a phenomenal cornerstone to watch Austin Riley develop into this complete player has been a ton of fun to watch. Presumably he's going to bat third most nights for the Braves. He's going to have an opportunity to have a massive, massive year. We talked about the gaudy numbers that Matt Olson had. I think those are in the line of of outcomes for Riley with the way he hits and the way he has gotten better year over year. So really just a special player, a talented guy. And, uh, you know, again, a, a real claim to being the best third baseman in baseball alongside Jose Ramirez in Cleveland. 
Yeah, he's projected to be number one in the, in the uh, National League at third base. Uh, I think he's fourth by Fangraphs in baseball right now. That sounds fine to me. Um, just for some more numbers on his last three years combined, uh, Riley is number 11 in all of baseball, um, in, at least among position players, in Fangraphs' war over the last three years combined. So that's essentially a superstar. Um, he's not quite on Acuna's tier of super-duper-duper stardom, but he's in the next tier down. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. He is sixth in baseball in home runs over the last three years combined, and he's been in the top eight of NL, NL MVP voting in the last three years straight. So not a whole lot else to add. He's been durable, too. The yeah. bat is great. Uh, the power is there. They, they need that. And uh, if he plays defense like he, did, like he did last year, there isn't really anything to nitpick. Like, that was the one spot, like you said, that was kind of a question. And then he's not playing first base. Like, third base, it does matter more at third than it does at first. But uh, he was – he's not like Brooks Robinson over there, but he was very, very solid last year. That's all they had, that's all they had to have. Yeah, and how fortunate are the Braves and just as fans of a team that tunes in every night to have these superstars on the team who are no drama, right? Like Austin Riley. <laughs> and, locked in his, in, and locked in forever. <laughs> right, signed long-term by all accounts. It was an easy process getting that massive deal done. What was it, 10 years and 212 million bucks? I mean, no drama ever with Austin Riley in his three and a half years in the majors. Same with Matt Olson. Ozzy Albies. I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr. gets picked on because of the way he plays, but that he's a good man, especially the way he's, I think, really grown up the last couple of years now that he's a father. Michael Harris. I mean, you go down the line, just some really good human beings. And I think Austin Riley is very much at the top of the list of being a, a very good baseball player, and B, just seems like a really good down-to-earth dude who happens to be really good at hitting baseballs for a living. Yeah, and he's uh, about to be 27, so certainly, you know, firmly in the middle of his prime. Uh, it's a long, long, long contract. He's on the longest deal that they have. It's a 10-year deal. He signed through 2033 with a club option. That's a ludicrous amount of time. But, um, yeah, no no concerns about downturn at this point in time. And, um, yeah, a great spot to be in there. So I feel like if you're a first-time listener, you might be thinking that, like, this is an all Sunshine and Rainbows podcast. I, I get it because the infield, other than RC a little bit, is – locked in with star level players. You know, Ozzy isn't on the same level right now as Riley Olsen and Murphy, um, but he's really, really good too. And uh, yeah, not, not a whole lot to like nitpick about this group. Um, I teased it a little bit earlier. The Braves and Dodgers have basically a dead heat for the best projected infield in baseball by fan graphs. Um, just to give you the short version, the Braves have the big edge at third base with Riley. Um, the Dodgers, uh, by the way, Mookie Betts is now playing second base full time. So they have the huge edge there. As good as Ozzy is, Mookie Betts is quite a bit better. That, that's okay. Everything else is close because catcher goes to the Braves a little bit, but they have Will Smith, who's awesome. They don't have the best. They don't have a great backup in the way that Darno does. First base is Freeman versus Olsen. You know, choose your own adventure there. And then uh, at shortstop, the edge goes to the Dodgers. So like essentially, as they are in, in, many, in many ways, it's like one versus one, Braves versus Dodgers. Do you have a take on this? I don't think it actually matters too much, but do you have a preference on which one you would like to take? Because I, I do. I, I have a small one. <laughs> My only take is that I hope the playoffs are not weird. And we <laughs> well, finally that's never, never going to happen. <laughs> we know yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. We, we joke how amazing and maybe historic the Braves and Dodgers could be this year. So, of course, we're going to get like a, a San Diego Padres against the St. Louis Cardinals NLCS this year. Um, my, my hope and take is I hope we get to see these two teams in a rematch of the NLCS because just head and shoulders above the rest of the National League. I think the Phillies are obviously a threat with their talent. The Diamondbacks, of course, are a team on the up and up. But overall, I mean, these two rosters are not only just better than the National League, but all of baseball, just shocking with, um, you know, we could probably have a whole podcast episode about the Braves being better one through 26, but the Dodgers are maybe a little bit better at the very top of the roster. Um, but nonetheless, man, just two very, very special teams that are going to have great years. Yeah. So the Braves are projected as the best team in baseball by fan graphs. Um, the Dodgers are a little bit higher in the betting markets um, for whatever it's worth. That's probably because of what you just said. They have a little bit more of the splashy offseason Otani, all that stuff. Uh, the Braves have probably a little bit more depth. Um, full lineup-wise, the Braves have the small edge in projection, probably because they also have Ronald Acuna. So they have the infields like kind of a dead heat, and then you throw in Ronnie in the outfield, and Betts is playing second base now. So advantage Braves there. But anyway, 
we'll have plenty of time to talk, talk about Braves and Dodgers in the next, hopefully, like you said, eight months. But um, long story short, man, the Braves infield is fantastic. And uh, if they got to go do something else to fix a spot, then they'll go ahead and do that. But um, in our preview series, you know, the bullpen we, that we did a couple of weeks ago, it certainly looks like a, like a good group. Uh, it is not nearly because it, it basically can't be. It is not nearly as safe as the infield. The infield is as safe as it gets because um, even in the outfield, like the Braves have a, it, there's only three spots there. And one of them is a question mark in left field. Um, obviously the center field and right field spots are not question marks <laughs> at all. But uh, in the infield, there are five spots and one question mark. So you could say if there's one spot, one sort of position group or mini group that is the best slash safest slash easy, easiest to project for the Braves, it might be the infield. Yeah, really a special group. Hopefully defensively, they continue to build. I mean, I'm, I'm curious. One thing we didn't mention is the departure of Ron Washington yeah, good and call. the good tireless call. work. I mean, t- truly tireless work that yep. Wash did with this infield over the last five, six years. Uh, he's, of course, now in Anaheim. Good for him in, in the manager role. So we'll see if there's any noticeable drop off. I tend to think no, because these are professionals. They've been doing it at a high level for a long time. But uh, let's hope the defense gets even better. The offense should not be a problem here, especially for the big three in the infield. And then, as we talked about, hopefully just a little more consistency and hopefully his health cooperates with Sean Murphy. But overall, a really good group. And um, it's uh, you know it's a good time to be a Braves fan. I know that I went on a little bit of a rant earlier this week <laughs> on on X about just you have to enjoy you? the regular Ranting? season. Scott? Never. Come on. Never. I have I have calmed with my years of of <laughs> age, Brad. But um, you know, you have to enjoy the, the journey, the 162. I love it. It just becomes part of like everyday life. You know, you do your day job or whatever you do during the daytime. You go to school and you do dinner, and then boom, you flip on the Atlanta Braves that night. It's a special time, and you really do, even if the postseason has not necessarily been what we have wanted it to be every year outside of 2021. You really do just have to take it all in and enjoy this because we are in the golden days. I mean, teams would would give their souls to be on this run. The Braves are on with the division titles and the number of wins. So we really just have to take it all in, enjoy it for what it is, and then hopefully when October rolls around, the ball happens to bounce your way. Yep, I'm with you all the way on that, and I'm sure it'll come up again in the near future when we talk about predictions for the season and all that fun stuff. Still a while, still a ways to go here. We got about a month, month plus until the actual opening day. You and I are kind of on record that once spring training games start, it's cool for a little while. And then it's like, all right, give me to the actual season. And hopefully that's going to be the case in the uh, near future. But we do have several more previews to go um, on this show, the flagship show, so to speak, of the Battery Power Podcast Network. Scott and I will do a preview of the outfield. At some point, we will do a preview of the rotation at some point, and then we'll also do our uh, kind of big picture predictions, bold predictions, all that fun stuff. That'll be coming at some point between now and opening day. You also have a full slate of audio offerings on this podcast network. We have The Daily Hammer with Sean Coleman. Sean does a great job, a little bit more bite-sized most of the time, uh, covering the ins and outs, especially when games start, doing the game breakdowns in the middle of the week. Also, we have the podcast to be named later with Chris Willis and Stephen Tolbert. They do a great job about once a week as well, and it's all coming to you for the price of $0. So if you are a new listener or a recurring listener that's not subscribed to the podcast just yet, go ahead and do that now on Apple or Spotify or Amazon Music or Overcast, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, we will definitely be there for you. Ratings and reviews appreciated as well. Scott, anything to plug before we get out of here? I echo everything Brad just said. Very well done. A professional <laughs> read. Uh, we do appreciate everybody's support. Uh, we'll be here. It's exciting times. You got spring training in full swing. You have March Madness right around the corner, which Brad and I will probably do like a 30-minute post-podcast, oh, yeah. uh, give our takes. You know, the Masters, we got TV commercials going for the Masters is around the corner. It's it's a good time of year. So very good to have baseball back in our lives, and and we'll be back next week. Absolutely. So stay tuned. Tell a friend about the podcast. I'm, and I'm sure I know people in my life that are Braves fans who are not listening to the podcast. And I try to get them to do that all the time. But if you have someone in your life that you know is a diehard Braves fan and they've not found us yet, put the podcast in front of them in some way, links or whatever. Hopefully they'll jump on board with us. But uh, thank you for listening, everybody. I really do appreciate it, as does Scott, as does Chris and Steven and Sean, etc. Also, read the website that we actually work for, batterypower.com for all the written content you're looking for around the Braves. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you all next time.